and other factors not available. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Edward Payson was born July 25, 1783. He is a magnificent man of God. He was a powerful preacher. Part of the legacy he has left behind are his diaries and his writing. I'd like to share with you a portion of a diary as a setting for today's broadcast. He writes, It would be the easiest thing in the world to give you plenty of good advice. All the difficulty will be to make you follow it. If you're like me, you will never learn anything to any purpose till it is beaten into you by painful experience, and even then you will probably forget it in a tenth part of the time that it took you to learn it. However, I will tell you one thing which experience has taught me. If you will believe it on my word, it will save you much suffering. If not, you will learn it as I did under the scourge. Sometime since, I took up a little work purporting to be the lives of sundry characters as related by themselves. Two of these characters agreed in remarking that they were never happy until they ceased striving to be great men. This remark struck me as, you know, the most simple remarks will strike us when heaven pleases. It occurred to me at once that most of my sins and sufferings were occasioned by my unwillingness to be nothing, which, in fact, I am, and by consequent struggles to be something. I saw that if I would cease struggling and be content to be anything or nothing just as God pleases, I might be happy. You think it strange that I mention this, as a new discovery, and in one sense, it was not new at all. I have known it for years. But I saw it in a new light. My heart saw it and consented to it. I am comparatively happy. My dear brother, if you can give up all desires to be great and feel heartily willing to be nothing, you will be happy too. You must not even wish to be a great Christian, that is, you must not wish to make great attainments in religion for the sake of knowing that you have made it, or for the sake of having others think that you have made great contributions. You know, very true, very good, you will say, though somewhat trite, 
but how may I bring myself to such a state? Let me ask in reply, why are you not troubled when you see one man receive military or Masonic honors? Why are you not unhappy because you cannot be a colonel, a general, or a most worshipful grand high priest? Because you answer, I have no desire for these titles or distinctions. And why do you not desire them? Simply because you are not running a race in competition with those who have obtained them. You stand aside and say, Let those who wish for these things have them. Now, if you can, in a similar manner, give up all competition with respect to others, to other objects, if you can stand aside from the race which too many other ministers are running and say from your heart, let those who choose to engage in such a race divide the prize. Let one minister run away with the money, and another with the esteem, a third with the applause, etc. I have something else to do, a different race to run. Be God's approbation the only prize for which I run. Let me obtain that, and it is enough. I say, if you can, from the heart, adopt this language, you will find most of your difficulties and sufferings vanish. But it's hard to say this. It's almost impossible to persuade any man to renounce the race without cutting off his feet, or at least fettering him. This God has done for me, this he has been doing for you, and you will one day, if you do not now, bless him for all of your sufferings as I do for mine. I have not suffered one pang too much. God was never more kind than when I thought him most unkind, never more faithful than when I was ready to say his faithfulness has failed. Let him fetter you too, if he pleases. Anything is a blessing which prevents us from running the fatal race which we are prone to run, which first convinces us we are nothing, and then makes us willing to be so. I hear many people sighing heavily, unhappily. If only life were different, if only they could have the desire of their heart, then they think I would be happy. That's not true. Happiness is elusive. Happiness is not something we can run after and catch. Happiness is a byproduct. A man said to me, I am so unhappy, Pastor. What do I have to do to be happy? And I said to him, 
you must give up your life. And then you will be happy. He gave me a strange look and said, Thanks, thanks for nothing, and he walked away. Well, let me read another portion from this godly man, Edward Payson. He writes, Since I have lost my will, I have found happiness. There can be no such thing as disappointment to me, for I have no desire but God's will be accomplished. I have been all my life like a child whose father wishes to fix his individual attention. At first the child runs about the room, but his father ties up his feet. He then plays with his hands until they likewise are tied. Then he continues to do till he is completely tied up. Then, when he can do nothing else, he will attend to his father, just so God has been dealing with me, to induce me to place my happiness in him alone. But I blindly continued to look for it here and there, and God has kept cutting off one source of enjoyment after another till I find that I can do without them all and yet enjoy more happiness than ever in my life before. God has been depriving me of one blessing after another, but as every one was removed, he has come in and filled up its place. And now when I am a cripple and not able to move, I am happier than I ever was in my life before or ever expected to be. And if I had believed this twenty years ago, I might have been spared much anxiety. If God had told me some time ago that he was about to make me as happy as I could be in the world and then told me that he should begin by crippling me in all my limbs— and removing me from all my usual sources of enjoyment, I should have thought it a very strange mode of accomplishing his purpose. And yet, how is his wisdom manifest even in this? For if you should see a man shut up in a closed room, idolizing a set of lamps, and rejoicing in their light, and you wish to make him truly happy, you would begin by blowing out all the lamps and then throw open the shutters to let the light of heaven in. As we begin our study today, we're going to go to Luke, the eighth chapter. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I am not here to impart knowledge to you. I am here to call you to give up your will, to lay it on the altar of burnt offering as it describes in Romans, the twelfth chapter, to honestly and earnestly seek after Jesus with all of your heart, to not only give Jesus your heart, but also your life. To say to Jesus, please come and collect what I have said I would give you. Now, some of you 
as you listen today to this broadcast, are very unhappy because life circumstances are not what you desire. Some of you have been able to rise above that and find other ways to entertain yourself. We all manage the inner pain of our life in one way or another. Many of you manage the pain of your inner life by watching television, which is a drug that numbs you, or by focusing on the football or the baseball or the hockey. You find professional sports very pleasing and you know all of the characters and their scores and all the stats you can repeat. You find that as a means of, particularly for men, proving your manhood. And then you find comfort in all of the rituals of the church. All of us must find some way to deal with the inner pain and disappointments of our heart. The question is, how will we deal with those inner pains? How will we allow them to not control us and destroy us. All of us have faced disappointment and loss. Many of us have experienced the death of very precious loved ones. How do we handle that inner loss? One man who lost his wife I said to him, How are you handling the loss of your wife? He said, I'm handling it by every night going home from my work and sitting down and watching old classic movies. He continued doing that for some years until he found another woman and he married her. We find ways to salve the pain of our hearts but for many it is utterly crippling because the choice is alcohol or pornography or being a workaholic or being a sports fiend or constantly being on the fishing boat or the golf course. We find many different ways to handle that inner pain and so we come to this story, this parable of the sower in Luke, the eighth chapter. It's very clear in this account that Jesus is going to address the numbness of soul, the, the deadening of the soul so that the pain of our heart does not overwhelm us. There is another way, and that is where the light of heaven is allowed to shine into our hearts. It is first helpful, however, to admit the pain. I said to one pastor who was visiting in my home, I'm puzzled by why you constantly sigh. He said, I don't. I said, are you not consciously aware of how every few minutes you heave a great sigh of dis-ease and unhappiness? 
Well, no, I'm not aware of it. I said, okay, as you do it, I'll identify it for you. Okay, please do. A few minutes later, he started to sigh, and I said, do you catch the sigh right now? He said, yes, I don't know what it's about. He had literally no self-understanding of the great unhappiness that was in his life. I tried to help him identify some areas that I saw where he was very unhappy, a lack of finances, a lack of church growth, a lack of success. He had a hard time beginning to understand the source of his great despair that was depressing him. And usually depression is just shoved down anger because we're not allowed to be angry, but we're allowed to be depressed. And this man is still right on the edge of depression because of his dis-ease. Now, this is going to increase in America exponentially. America is crashing. Financially, America is crashing. We are going to see the entire Western world collapse. When you lose the Christian faith, you will lose the culture. You will see men and women who have a form of godliness but no power, walking in increasing wickedness. And that's what we see even in the churches of America. Now everything is fluff and entertainment. There is no hard edge where we can see our sin and begin to deal with it. And so Jesus comes and he says, Look, I'm going to give to you the secrets of the kingdom of God. And he begins to share these secrets with us. But he frankly says, many of you are not going to want to listen to these. And you're going to be dull of hearing. And things are going to become very difficult for you. Now, the first indication in this parable is first the secrets of God are going to be shared and that most are not going to be willing to listen to these secrets. Then he teaches us that the seed that is going to be planted by the sower is the Logos, it is the Word of God, it is Jesus. And the first parable, there is a path. It has been trodden down very hard, And the seed lands on this hard-packed soil, and the devil swoops in and steals the seed before it has a chance to penetrate that hard soil. He steals the word of God. He steals Jesus from your heart. Because you have walked in this way for so long, And you are so unconscious of your needs. You are so unconscious of the work of God in your life. 
You have trodden this path of bitterness and anger. You have trodden this path of being casual about Jesus. You spend no time reading the word. You do not walk in obedience to his commands. Christianity, if you have any of it, is merely a culture, a social engagement, a sentimental attraction to Jesus. So you can quickly and easily say, I love Jesus, and tomorrow be a fornicator. You can say, I love Jesus, and yell and scream at your kids. You can say, I love Jesus, and jerk your child around like he was a rag doll because you're, you're not pleased with his behavior. You can dream constantly of what it will be like when you finally have money. There's simply no self-denial in you. And Jesus is saying, if that is the life you are living of casual ease without any self-denial, Satan is going to come and steal away this word I'm speaking to you and you will not take it seriously. You will blow it off and you will go about your life. And there will be no change because you tuned in and listened to a Pilgrim's Progress broadcast. It's just one more pretty song on religion that you heard. One more brief entertainment that you indulged in. Because, bottom line, you are an impatient person for your own pleasure, and you have not chosen to give up your will to God. You're a very willful person, now, what I'm describing very much fit me at one time in my life, and by the grace of God, he finally penetrated that hard heart, that hard edge, and began to bring to me conviction and weeping for my sin. Many, he never breaks through with, and I have done funerals for many of those kind of people. And they were not greeted into the heavenly realm. They were sent the other direction. And they will face the judgment of God and be cast into hell. The great concern I have is that you listen to Pilgrim's Progress without understanding with hardness of heart. You are not going to ever examine again the question of whether you are saved. You have believed the lie that you can sin against God and you're still saved. You have believed the lie that at the cross Jesus forgave all past, present, and future sins. If you believe that, and that is the way you walk, you have hardened the path to a point there may not be even the possibility of salvation for you. 
because God has no way to penetrate past your theological beliefs, the lies you've been taught by false shepherds. And so if you believe today that God's love is unconditional, if you believe today that God forgave at the cross all of your past, present, and future sins, and you are free to walk in your sin, you are that soil that is packed down. My dad used to call these kind of people, well, maybe I shouldn't give you that name. because I don't want to identify a denomination. He would say hard shell, and then he would add another word, a denominational name. If you are that kind of person and you refuse to go back and make sure that your calling and election are sure by walking in righteousness before God, by casting off all sin, losing your will to Jesus, if you are unwilling to go and examine that, you are today the hard soil. And your case is hopeless for salvation if there is not a breakthrough in your life. And if you remember the context of this broadcast, when you looked at yesterday's broadcast, the context is that America is dying and is collapsing and it is doing so because the church has left righteousness and self-denial and holiness and have become a hard, packed-down path filled with social and entertainment issues with a lukewarm heart and no real desire for Jesus. That is the path packed down hard. Is that who you are today? Are you casually at ease with your worldly Christian lifestyle? Are you casually at ease with your life? And you walk according to your will, doing whatever you would like to do when you want to do it, pursuing life with an add-on, perhaps, of a sentimental rabbit foot cotton candy Jesus. And we come to the second kind of soil. This is Luke, the eighth chapter, beginning with verse 13. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Or the time of parasmus, the time of piercing, they fall away. Or, literally, they apostatize, they cease believing. How many times I've had people come to the National Prayer Chapel and say, Pastor, this is wonderful news that you're preaching, that I can be free of my sin, that I can walk clean before God. And then the devil attacks 
and suffering begins to ensue. And they say, I'm out of here. Now, if you read First Peter, the fifth chapter, you'll find that suffering is a part of the Christian's journey. And that suffering is necessary to bind us up so that we no longer walk in the power of our flesh, but instead come to depend wholly upon Jesus. Suffering is a requirement for righteousness. And righteousness is a requirement for salvation. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And this is not pretend holiness. This is imparted holiness. This is real holiness. Real innocence and righteousness. People come to church and they say, this is wonderful preaching. But I need a children's program that fits fits the needs of my children. I need... I need this, I need that, I need... Really? Or do you just need Jesus? Churches today have become like malls. You can go to some churches and have breakfast. Go to the bowling alley. Have all of the self-help groups. Listen to the preacher as he spends 15 to 20 minutes entertaining you with wonderful, inspirational insight and jokes and laughter. Messages that feed your ego and give you strategies for success. How sad the day is. How broken. How ugly. Because of this, America is collapsing. Yes, I hold the pulpits of America responsible for the wickedness of our nation. I hold the pulpits responsible because the preacher was afraid to preach righteousness and holiness. Instead, he preached lies. Feel-good messages that tickle the heart, that increase the sentimentality to keep the cash flowing in the business called church. So this second kind of soil is a place where there is where there is no root the person holds on to their darling sins they continue to walk in the desire of their flesh they don't say no they don't want to suffer they're impatient with the holy spirit they want to repent and then go back to their sin If this rootless Christian is going to enter into the kingdom of God, 
they're going to have to put down their roots in Jesus. How do they put down roots in Jesus? By denying themselves, taking up the cross, and beginning to follow Jesus, reading the scriptures daily for hours, praying, searching after Jesus. You cannot have a little five-minute devotional in the morning, watch your day go by pursuing things of the flesh, come to the evening and enjoy the news and enjoy the television and the sports and then say a quick prayer as you're ready to go to bed. You will never come to know Jesus Christ this way. You are going to have to have days of fasting and prayer. You're going to have to have true repentance and turning away from yourself and your pleasures. You're going to have to come to terms with the inner pain of your heart that drives you like a whip to run after the things that satisfy your soul. For some of you, yes, it is the television. For some of you, it's the fishing boat. For some of you, it's the refrigerator and gluttony. For some of you, it's relationships with other people. You can spend hours every day chit-chatting with people about nothing. For some of you, it's about work. Some of you, it's about money and success and power. We're going to have to come to terms with our own hearts and begin to do the self-discipline in the Spirit by the power of the blood of Jesus to say, Jesus, come please and deal with my wicked heart. You're going to have to turn away from the belief that you are saved and get serious about pursuing Jesus in the concrete ways I'm describing. Until you get serious with Jesus and begin to suffer in the putting away of your sin and the cutting off of wicked relationships, you will never begin to put roots down into Jesus Christ. You will say, it's too hard. I can't do it. No, it's not too hard. It simply requires that you confess to Jesus that you love your sin and that you hate his righteousness and you ask him to begin to transform your soul and to make you into a new person and you release your life into his hands and he will begin to do the work of circumcision in your heart which is literally the cutting off of all that you love in this world including family. Jesus will only settle for one place in your life, and that is uno, number one. If you do not allow him to be number one, he will not be anything to you except some social figment of sentimentality. People say to me, Oh, I'm sorry, Pastor, I couldn't be in church on Sunday. 
Well, why? Well, I had this appointment and this happened and that happened. Oh, so you're putting Jesus in a full agenda and trying to make time for everything and the things that are not so important get edged out like gathering with the believers on Sunday or Saturday or Saturday night or whenever you gather with believers. And some of you don't gather with believers at all because you're so full of your own heart and your own life, you have never been willing to sacrifice time, energy, and money to be a part of the body of Jesus Christ. The body of Christ has the, the apple of his eye. It's what he's going to do his magnificent work with in all of the world. Read the book of Ephesians. And yet you say, I don't need to be there Sunday. I had to work. Oh, you worship money, don't you? You can't worship God in money. One or the other will win. You cannot worship God in mammon. You have to turn your back on mammon. And Jesus then will provide for you all that you desire and need in your life, in him. So I guess as a farm boy, I would go out to see if the corn was growing. And here's a little green shoot just beginning to pop out. And if I pull it up, I'll find a little grain of corn on the bottom. But, of course, I'll disturb the roots in doing that. But what would happen if those little tiny shoots of roots never grew and the stalk grew tall? Well, it would fall over. What's going to happen to you when you have no roots in Jesus and the winds of pain and the winds of misfortune begin to blow on your life. You're going to go over. You're not going to stand because you have no root in Jesus. You have your roots in the world. You have your roots somewhere. Where are your roots today? For some, your roots are in ritual. For some, your roots are in sports. For some, your roots are in your family, for some your roots are in your husband or your wife. Those roots will not sustain you when the true winds begin to blow. You need roots down into Jesus or you're going to get blown over and the inner pain of your heart is going to be so great you'll have to reach out and find many diversions but you'll never be happy. Happiness only comes when our will is lost in Jesus. <laughs> so where are your roots today? Are you even willing to consider where your roots are? You see, America is dying. And if we are not revived, it will be over for America and God's judgment will fall and will burn this nation. This nation will have tornadoes and hurricanes and famine 
This nation will be utterly destroyed if there is not a revival in our land. That revival has to start in my heart and in your heart. The politicians cannot fix America. Mr. Trump cannot make America great again because America is no longer holy. Before America can be great again, it must become holy again. There's a a county in Virginia who passed a regulation saying that that you must go to the bathroom of your birth gender. So if a man, a young man in high school, has the anatomy of a man, he must use the men's restroom. A federal circuit court just ruled yesterday overturning this regulation saying it's discriminatory against transgender men and women. The case was a a young high school girl felt like she was a boy and so she wanted to use the boy's restroom. And the court ruled in her favor. What total wickedness have we given ourselves over to in this nation when adults no longer respect the sanctity of even a bathroom? Incredible. And then the lying and the cheating and the corruption... The support yesterday in the news of a four-year-old child who wants to be transgender. So the parents are seeking the surgery for a four-year-old. This is utter insanity. It is demonic. It is wicked. And I could identify many other things like abortion the rampant use of welfare, the sense of entitlement. We could go on and on with what's happening in America that is destroying America, and then in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that, we have a total disregard for God, trying to get God out of the schools, trying to say you can't pray at school, you can't have anything to do with the God of heaven if you're going to be in school, but you can have Muslim prayer rooms. Insanity. Let me read it for you. Second Timothy, the third chapter. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, 
without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Today we're told that we should be tolerant. Let's look at that for just a moment. Always when we are being told you must be tolerant of this, it is something wicked, an aberration. No one is ever told to be tolerant of someone who is courteous, who is polite, who is respectful, who is responsible. No, we don't speak about being tolerant of a respectful person. We speak of being tolerant to someone who is not respectful. We speak of tolerant as someone who is walking in an aberration, something that is unnatural, something that is wicked, something that is of darkness, something that is of demonic power. That is what we are to be tolerant of. I am a very intolerant person. I am a person of great love and compassion and mercy, but I am utterly intolerant. Wickedness must be confronted. It must be named. It must be stood up against. And when you come home, your child from school, and they want that child to read a pornographic book, don't be tolerant. Say no. Contact the teacher, contact the school, and if necessary, contact an attorney. It's time for Christians to stop rolling over and being tolerant of a culture that is utterly wicked. Please, if revival is to come to our land, we must become an intolerant people. And we must say this behavior cannot continue. And obviously you know that when there is a child misbehaving, mama and daddy are to correct that child and to teach that child that that behavior is not acceptable. But what happens when children grow up and they have never learned to be respectful? Then mother and father, you are going to have the law teaching them to be respectful. You are going to have policemen who will be shooting them when they come at them with their firearm or their knife. In other words, the courts and the law and the police become the nannies of our state, and we have a nanny state because we have been taught to be tolerant and so there's no root in righteousness. There's no root in what is healthy and right and normal. We're told by our president and some of the Supreme Court justices that the Constitution is a living document and can be changed as we see we need to. Justice Ginsburg 
stunned the legal world when she said we must consider the legal decision of other nations when we make decisions about America. What? Didn't she take an oath of office to uphold the Constitution of the United States and not the UN or some global one-world governance? Isn't that treason? What we see happening in the public realm, what we see happening in the public schools, what we see happening in the workplace, what we see happening in the entertainment is because we have been tolerant of utter evil wickedness. And it's time for Christians to wake up and say, I've had enough, and begin to go to the prayer closet, deal with their own wicked heart, repent, and stand as, a, as an oak of righteousness against the wickedness of America. I know what I'm describing is not easy. But there must be an awakening in your soul that says, I can no longer drift down this river of row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. That dream has become in America a nightmare. With untold thousands on EBT cards, untold thousands out of work, unemployed or underemployed, America, the land of opportunity, has been destroyed by wicked men who voted for free trade, who shipped our jobs and our factories overseas, charged an undue amount of taxes on our American corporations, forcing them to go to Mexico or China or some other place where they can manufacture at a much cheaper price. And now they're jacking up in California the minimum wage to $15. Not understanding that now they are going to have an exodus from California of thousands of garment workers. We're going to have to recognize that our nation is collapsing financially because it has collapsed morally. When the Kardashians and those of their ilk, the Clooney's, I mean, when all of these Hollywood people are always front and center with their wickedness and their violence and their vile dress and their vile selfies, what has happened to America? And where are the Christians? Where are the pastors? Where's the cry against the wickedness of our day? There has to be a change. It has to start with you and me. It has to start with repentance and asking Jesus to wake up our hearts and cause that path to be plowed up by the Holy Spirit to ask that the Holy Spirit would begin to give to us the gift of self-denial, 
that he would open for us the gates of righteousness until this takes place there's no hope for America two minutes and we will see famine and destruction and the burning of America well I'm being told we're out of time today you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress I'm Ray Greenley. I want Jesus to come and I want you to be ready and I want America restored. I love this nation. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And I thank the many of you already this month who are sending donations and tithes to help cover the cost of this broadcast. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. God bless you, my brother, my sister. Lord, I pray for every person listening. I pray, Lord, that you will send your Holy Spirit to bring deep heart conviction and to cause the root of your people to begin to find its way into your heart, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.